into sports. 20 yards out, Ursa shoot, don't shoot! Oh, oh what a goal for Fabinho! Wow! Then get into the all new OTB Sports app. I think when he apologises to me, I probably will say hello to him, yeah. No. Videos, sports news, live scores, interviews. If Abregas is going to come up to me in the street and give me some of a mouth that he would have given me on a football pitch, what do you do? You get a slap. Plus, exclusive content on the OTB Podcast Network. The biggest names in sports. Ready when you are. Search OTB Sports on your app store and download it now. The OTB Podcast Network. Brady and Belichick have been at the forefront of the credit in New England for the last 20 years. OTB's American Football Show, The Snap on OTB Sports Radio. Welcome along to this week's edition of The Snap. We're here every Friday afternoon. We stream at noon and uh, all this good quality content is... Still pretty current up until kickoff on Sunday afternoon. As ever, we've got Ronan Mullen and Kean Fahey with us. Gents, you're both very welcome. How are you? All's well, Jen. All's well. Ah, you've had a, a full night's sleep, Kean, because no football last night to keep you out of bed, right? Nah, I couldn't sleep. But it, it, it was weird. It's been a very weird week not having Thursday night football and having Tuesday night football. And my guess is the Buffalo Bills felt that a little bit too based on their performance on Tuesday. Yeah, certainly they didn't show up um, as much as we expected them to. And look, you know, everybody's going to start wondering until they actually win the next game if they are the real Bills or not. Um, we, we have a pick six coming in just a minute. Don't hit the sting just yet. Uh, but straight off the bat, you guys wanted to, you in particular, Kian, wanted to give me some grief about Jimmy G. Have at it. I will bat this away happily. Go on. I'd love to, but realistically, he's probably still not fully healthy. It was the performance that kind of... Kyle Shanahan said after the game like that he only benched him to protect him because he was saying he wasn't throwing the ball the way he normally does, and there's some truth to that, but also the issues were that the offensive line didn't have a great amount of uh, protection that it normally has. The, the specific play-action running plays weren't there because the running game worked at times. It wasn't as consistent as it has been in the past. So it, it kind of... When Shanahan comes out and says, oh, it was only because of the injury, I just can't buy that. But when he actually comes in, or when you actually look at the game, you see the problems that he's referring to, the missed interception on the left sideline. That was clearly an awful throw. That, while Garoppolo is bad throws, that's normally not that bad. But a lot of the issues were him not processing the defense fast enough and him taking sacks he shouldn't have taken because he's playing behind an offensive line that isn't dominating. So I, I can't really kill you about it, but I, do, I, I did remember you saying it was going to be a value contract moving forward, and that to me just never really made sense, and I think this is kind of why. It's too, it's too early to say. I think if he's, uh, if he's fully fit, he was fully fit for like a half this year, and he played a great half, and I was like, ooh, this is going to be very interesting if he can maintain this, but then he couldn't. <clears throat> High ankle sprains, I, I keep saying it, uh, players keep coming back from them, and they are never good. I don't know why everybody just doesn't take an extra couple of weeks. It's actually going to work out really well, I think, for the Saints and Michael Thomas, that his high ankle sprain hasn't seen him back on the field, that and pointing the head off one of your teammates, that might be the best move that he's made for his the rest of his season and for the Saints uh, over the next while. Um, but I'm still I'm still a believer in Jimmy G. I'm just not convinced that the 49ers are going to do anything this year. And you know maybe you sit him for the rest of the year and you tank and you get a much better draft position and suddenly your draft capital is um, is boosted a little bit. Who knows? Uh, suddenly. Five games in, you start thinking about draft capital. Things aren't great when you uh, were in the Super Bowl last year. Let's get into it. Time for the pick six. Go on. I was just going to note as well beforehand, there was a concern there with Trent Williams where he wasn't very very good in pass protection. He he still 
making crazy athletic plays in the running game, but in pass protection, he needs to be better as well. Yeah, he he probably just needs to get some games. That was the whole point for somebody who's been out for a year, who's recovered yeah. from cancer. You know, you want the preseason, you want those preseason games to get that rustiness off. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed he can get back to being the type of athlete that he used to be or the type of uh, pass protector that he was. Okay, time for the pick six. These puns definitely all make sense. It's the pick six on OTB Sports. Number one, Ronan Mullen, what is it? Yeah, Jerry, I think the two notable omissions from this pick six are the 49ers and the Falcons, and I'm sure that Kyle Shannon will be hoping the similarities end there because his former colleague got the boot, and, you know, they have a pretty tough schedule, but we're going to let the 49ers and the Falcons slide for this week. Unfortunately, we have to start on a bit of a somber note. Dak clouds over Dallas. Dak Prescott, who was kind of the one-man show in you know, for the Cowboys this season, given probably testament to how terrible they've been that he's had to bail them out on occasion. But uh, got his little Philly special touchdown last week and then it, it all went awry. And the story of the offseason just gone was his contract wrangle and sort of got to breaking point when he wanted a four-year contract. They were offering him a five-year contract. I think they were in the ballpark with regard to money and it ultimately fell down. I know he's notably taken out insurance policies on himself for this kind of injury. But even with that, that notwithstanding, you could kind of feel sympathy not just among the Dallas Cowboys community but throughout the NFL that this is a sort of a stand-up guy and for whatever there might be division in terms of rating his quality as a quarterback but I think everyone agrees he's he's a pin-up in terms of what the NFL is trying to put out there as a, as a representative of the league and it's a, bit, it's a bit unfortunate I think from the Cowboys point of view Andy Dalton's a very capable replacement to their offensive line isn't what it once was but he's more than capable a former playoff quarterback did good things with the Bengals and they have a lot of talent on offense. The defense will be the issue. And just for from Dak Prescott's point of view, I think they're they're pegging it as a four to six month recovery period. But you look at Alex Smith, who was probably the story of last weekend, and he probably didn't feel like it when he was being haired after by Aaron Donald and excruciatingly so, but he's sort of the pin up now for uh, what the wonders of recovery. And you would expect Dak Prescott would be back next season, hopefully with the Cowboys, but you just never know. It's a cutthroat business and you know, they, they have leverage now in some sort of grim way, given this injury that when they go back to the negotiations table, the Cowboys kind of have the upper hand and it's a bit, it's yeah. a bit, a bit bad, really, when you, when you look at it that way. It is grim. It's grim when you look at it that way because what they can do if they want to is franchise him uh, again and, like, again and again if they need to and keep him at whatever uh, figure that is. Now, maybe they won't do that and maybe they'll actually be decent in this instance because... Sometimes they actually are decent when it comes to this type of thing. Uh, Kian, you've been charting quarterbacks for the best part of half a decade at this stage. How good is Dak Prescott? Uh, phenomenal. He was carrying that offense. Norman mentioned there the offensive line is missing pieces, and it wasn't playing particularly well when the pieces were there as well. So, like Andy Dalton is a capable and effective quarterback, and Norman's right about that as well. The problem is Andy Dalton has never been someone who's been able to elevate his offensive line. He's only ever been effective from completely clean pockets, and he's just not going to get that in Dallas this year. I think it's going to be a lot of Ezekiel Elliott. It's going to be a lot of uh, design throws to um, C.D. Lamb in, in the slot for yak plays, screens. It's going to be a lot of trying to win low-scoring games, which is a problem when you've got the Cowboys' defense because they can't stop anyone. So the, the Cowboys are in major, major trouble here, but the reality is winning games at this point is probably, like, like you were mentioning with the 49ers, winning games at this point for the Cowboys is probably not a great thing because you may as well get the better draft pick next year. I don't think you're going to win a Super Bowl without Dak and with that defense. So 
there are major, major problems. From a personal perspective in terms of this league, like there's always the talk over here of how American football players wear pads and how they've got helmets and how rugby players don't. And I saw the All Blacks tweeting about this this week, which is a very weird thing for an All Blacks account to be doing. But it's it's also has to be noted that this is such a more brutal sport because of those helmets becoming weapons, because of the way they're allowed to hit players, which means, and because the, short, because the season is much shorter, which means every single year we're guaranteed maybe five or six injuries that are going to take away from the overall enjoyment of watching on red zone, on games, specific games. It's always, there's always at least five or six guys. And Dak is one of those. He's one of the most exciting, most enjoyable players. I think he's probably the first this year. I think you could argue for Nick Bosa as well, but Nick Bosa being a defensive player, it's a little bit tougher for him to do that. So this Dak injury, it's just devastating all around. And uh, coming back from an injury like that, like it, it's mentally massive challenge as well. The compound fracture, fracture, you lose faith in your leg, just holding up and just stand, stay, uh, staying where it is. The very kind of cyclical idea of it is, uh, we only mentioned Alex Smith. That's obviously the, the biggest story from last weekend. But Teddy Bridgewater had a great game last weekend as well. And he's someone who's gone through much worse injuries than Dak even has now. So it, 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 Dak can come back. I think he'll be fine. The, whether he comes back a cowboy or someone else, that's actually a real question now because they can't just franchise tag him again and again and again because he goes up to 120% of what his salary was last year. So it's not going to be as easy to franchise tag him this year. They may do it one more year. They won't be able to do it for a second year after that. Okay. Um, I'm sure other teams would be interested in Dak. The, the Teddy B uh, comparison, it is really three years on since his uh, knee exploded that he's back to playing at that level. You know, again, that was one of those injuries where people very quickly were saying he might never play again. He might not be able to have full motion in that leg again. So you'd hope that there's a straightforwardness to the injury that Prescott has yeah. had um, that maybe wasn't there in those two and that actually he is back in time for the start of next season. And um, look, I don't know, if, if he's not with Dallas, I'd say like 27, 28 other teams would be like, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely take him because of the character, because of the ability to... Um, just be uh, that athlete and and somebody that has clearly rallied that entire locker room around. So what's next, Ronald? Where are we going next? Yeah, number two is sort of a nod to the glories of old time uh, day, daytime television, Jared, for myself and Enda. Mahomes under the hammer. You've got stairs going up to your bedroom. Yeah, so Mahomes, this is actually more of a Raiders segment, but I just want to use that because God knows we don't get enough chances to use Mahomes in, in headlines in a negative manner. So that's I wanted to use that one for a while. But the Raiders, like, I don't think... I've been sort of willing this John Gruden thing to succeed because I loved him on TV and obviously saw the old documentaries when he was having his first go-around in the league and it, he took so much stick from trading Khalil Mack and all that went with that. But we might get to the defence in a second, but just looking at the stats going in here, like, the Chiefs had outscored the Raiders uh, a combined 103 to 22 points going into this game in their last three meetings, and then the Raiders had lost seven in a row. So I don't think many people were picking them go into Kansas City and not make it eight in a row in terms of losses at Arrowhead. But like I think we mentioned in our um, post-draft conversations that this has turned into a bit of an arms race in this division where rather than trying to, to stop what Kansas City are doing, we have to try and copy them. And the Raiders and the Broncos obviously took two like, high-key wide receivers. Um, and Henry Ruggs really broke out this game the other day. Like Derek Carrizo has been known as a short intermediate passer, but he wasn't afraid to lob it over the top and Henry Ruggs sort of showed that this Kansas City defense which kind of came into its own at the back end of their Super Bowl campaign can be got at and like again the stats were, were mad like the Chiefs were outpossessed 
35 minutes to 25 minutes, which I think is a, is a more significant stat as it goes along in terms of diluting these high-powered offense. The Chiefs punted on uh, three first drives in the second half in a row, and then Mahomes threw that fourth down interception in the fourth drive. So the Chiefs were able, or the, the Raiders were able to put the shackles on them a little bit, and that sort of set the table for this for this unbelievable victory. Like It looks like a shootout on paper when you see 40 to 32, but the, the Raiders' defense was able to step up. And then just a quick word for Darren Waller, who I remember the Ravens took five years ago and he had his off-the-field issues and sort of forced his way out of the league a little bit um, and the Ravens signed him back to the practice squad. It's actually a funny story that the Raiders saw him warming up before Ravens-Raiders game and sort of liked the look of him and snapped him up. He had his little cameo in Hard Knocks, but I don't think anyone sort of pegged him to be in this conversation as maybe a top three tight end in the league, but... In summary, I think we can safely say the Raiders are going places. I think the Chiefs would still be favourites for the division, but the Raiders are going to make some noise in the postseason. The Cleveland Farrell pick, Farrell pick was absolutely uh, pissed on from a great height, I think it's fair to say. And um, he graded out as the third best pass rusher in week five. Has he, has he started to break out? Bear in mind, he's only 23 still. I'm not sure about that. The... Like we've talked about it previously, the weakness of this Chiefs offense is the offensive line, and Mahomes isn't fully sharp, and he's only been fully sharp for one game this year against the Ravens, one that everyone watched. When he's not fully sharp, you can make that offense kind of capitulate a little bit, and Sammy Watkins getting hurt is gonna is gonna limit them now as well because they don't really have a direct replacement for him. Demarcus Robinson is a good receiver, but not as well rounded as Watkins, and Nicole Hardman is still developing. He's much more mostly just a speedster at this stage, which he's not like Tyree Kill even. So you can't really just rely on him and plug him in straight away. Getting Le'Veon Bell, obviously, is something we've come to. But Roland's right. This game, I think, was more about the Raiders than it was about the Chiefs. Josh Jacobs was outstanding. The offensive line was outstanding. The defensive line won, like you mentioned there. They are able to get pressure on Mahomes in the second. He played well enough. The interesting aspect of it, though, Derek Carr still made those mistakes that frustrate you and infuriate you, where he checks down and he throws the ball to a receiver he shouldn't throw to when he's got someone wide open behind him. The offensive line was good enough, and Darren Waller was good enough, and uh, Henry Ruggs' impact was good enough. And he, he had his first, he, he had one big play, uh, I think he's not shown in, in midway through the game, but on the first drive of the game, he had one big play where Carr threw the ball to him and he was late getting the ball to him. So that meant the, the, when Ruggs was wide open behind the defense, he was forced to come back and catch the ball over a defender. And he made a play that you don't expect your speedster, smaller receiver to make, where he jumped through the safety, caught the ball between, when the safety was between him and the ball, held on to it the whole way through to the ground and maintained control of it. And that's not something you expect from a guy who looks like Henry Ruggs. He's not a big receiver. But if he continues to make those types of plays, we'd be talking about him more than just his speed. We'd be talking about him as more of a rounded, more of a, a high-end receiver rather than just a, a high-quality role player. So you have the perfect match there of Jacobs battering guys as a running back. And, and they were using um, Devontae Booker, who had quite a good game, which is very weird because he's had a very average, un underwhelming career to this point. But they were using him when he was playing well. Josh Jacobs was battering them. Darren Waller was uncoverable working the middle. And then Henry Ruggs on the outside was exploding. And even Nelson Aguilar is having a really big year, even though his production isn't that big. But when he's targeted in Oakland or in Las Vegas, he's playing really well. So it's a really interesting um, a really interesting game, a really interesting outcome. And the other aspect of it is the Bills and the Chiefs play each other this week. And now they have a common opponent. And if you look at how the Raiders handled the Chiefs compared to how the Raiders struggled against the Bills, it suggests that we might have another upset with the Bills against the Chiefs. Okay, so plenty for us uh, to look forward to. You mentioned Le'Veon Bell. I think, uh, it, where is he coming? Is he? Are we next? Or two down? Yeah. 
number three. This is possibly my favourite headline in the history of the show, Jer, because I managed to get two key protagonists into the one pun. So it's Levy and a jet plane. So he's out of there. He's out of New York Jets. And people were sort of thinking, where's he going to end up? And it wasn't, it wasn't the terrible teams, which you might think, because he's already done that. He's gotten his money. And I think the Jets were, leave, were due to pay him 2.5 million in a roster bonus today, I'm fairly sure. And they said, no, we're going to save as much money as we can. We've already given this guy enough. So he's done what LeGarrette Blunt did and had his little sojourn with a, with a, with a weaker team. The Steelers aren't. Steelers versus Patriots is a bit different, but he, he didn't like what was going on with the Steelers and scuttled back to the Patriots, won a Super Bowl with them. So you can almost see the Le'Veon Bell featuring in America's Game Super Bowl uh, winner, uh, Kansas City Chiefs retaining. He comes in and turns their season around after the Raiders defeat or, or something to that effect. But he's going to, He's going to be explosive on this offense, but uh, the whole, like, I don't think anyone saw this Bell-Jets uh, uh, relationship working out overly well when it happened, and it's kind of been proven right this week. Well, it, it doesn't help when your new head coach tries to get rid of you the day, essentially, he walks into the place and is like, I did, I, not, nothing to do with me, nothing to do with me from the get-go. And that was never going to help Le'Veon Bell, who we know has an ego. And wants someone to go, oh, you are amazing. You will be the centerpiece of this offense. And uh, is he not washed, Keen? Is that not the problem here that Le'Veon Bell isn't Le'Veon Bell anymore? I think we should all just be thankful first he didn't join Denver. And then that pun could have gotten even worse. Um, the, I, I don't think he's washed. I, think, I, I wrote about him this week on the Patreon account. And I went through his most recent game. And I went through his previous games. And it, it's a simple matter of the fact that the Jets are a terrible offense. And Adam Gase, Adam Gase has killed different running backs over the years. Kenyon Drake was particularly notable in Miami. He didn't want Le'Veon Bell, so he was never going to make an effort with Le'Veon Bell. That's the kind of character Adam Gase is. But when you just look at the execution of the play designs, they just there was nowhere to go. Like he he would get the ball and run run to the line of scrimmage, beat one defender, and still have five more guys closing on him around from every angle. Like you can't expect the running back to be effective in those scenarios. If you go back to the Bills game, when he actually got one or two opportunities to make plays, he still made those plays. He's still capable of lining up in the slot and running a wheel route and getting up and down field. He's still capable of making a guy miss on a, a double move on the outside when he gets on the screen. He's still capable of running routes over the middle. He can do everything you ask him to do. He's probably a little bit less explosive than he was at his peak, but he's still capable of doing everything, and he's still quite versatile. He, When the Chiefs draft played Edward Solaire, they wanted him to be Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell is the perfect back for, for Andy Reid. In his prime, he was. Now he's probably a little bit more of a role player, closer to a role player in that offense. Edward Solaire would still be the primary option. But it would not shock me at all if he came in and made that a 50-50 split because the quality is still very much there. Bell is such an intelligent runner, such a high-quality runner in space, such an, uh, a good decision-maker working in tight spaces that he will get great production in a, in a good offense. He'll, but as a running back, like unless you're Saquon Barkley and you can outrageous athleticism and you can break tackle after tackle after tackle after tackle every for four quarters and you'll still only come out with an okay game unless you're that running back you're going to have terrible numbers in a, in a situation like he was in in new york okay why was there not more of a bidding war for his services well i think there was there was three teams that it was narrowed down to they wanted him if you're talking financially financially he had offsetting language so he had six million dollars to make this year it, whatever team signed him, that means he wouldn't make more than $6 million. It just means the Jets would have to not pay the amount of money he got. So there wasn't ever going to be a financial uh, charge for it. I think the Patriots apparently wanted to trade for him, and then they decided to ultimately not sign him or they couldn't compete. They, they've had running backs improve this year and get better and show more, So and they've still got James White there. 
The Packers have Jamal Williams came up this year who has had a great year so far. I think if Jamal Williams hadn't, they would have been interested. But if you look at the, the reported teams, the Bills, the Dolphins, and the Chiefs, the Chiefs, obviously, I've explained, the Bills would have wanted him to be a compliment back if Zach Moss is out. There. Maybe they didn't think that highly of him, but the Dolphins would have probably given him the full-time role because he'd be better than Miles Gaskin. I think the, the, the one thing you're getting with Bell as well is an assurance in pass protection and assurance in assignment, being assignment zone, because he's always been assignment zone. He's always been very, very good snap to snap. His consistency has always been there. If you go from a team like the Steelers to the Jets, it's always going to look bad. But even when he was in the Jets, when he was getting the ball and actually playing and trying to make plays, he wasn't quitting on plays. He was still dropping his shoulder, trying to break tackles from impossible scenarios. Like I had two of the runs I looked at in, in New York where he, he was blown up after he got the ball, as soon as he got the ball broke one tackle, got outside, broke another tackle and got forces away fighting through a tackle at the end. And he, at the end of the play, he gained minus one yard. So he's still making great plays. They were just not going to, to great value. I think there was probably a good bidding war for him, but he probably had specific requirements of where he wanted to be. He wants to try and win a ring and um, have that little bit of bling that he can... And prove himself. Rub in Adam Gase's face. Okay, and you think, that by the sounds of it, you think this is going to be very successful? Absolutely, yeah. I, but... Like, it's Andy Reid. Andy Reid, you can give him pretty much anything and he'll get success out of it. I just think Bell is a perfect fit. All right. Okay. What's next? Number four, Mike dropped there. You already alluded to this, um, the high ankle sprain that was suffered by Michael Thomas in that memorable first week game against the Buccaneers. It sort of set in motion a weird dynamic. I think Michael Thomas, I don't want to saddle him with the character comparison to Antonio Brown because nobody deserves that. But he, he was kind of, quiet in his first couple of seasons in the league you didn't hear all that much from him but you could tell it was a brewing chip on his shoulder that he wasn't a heralded receiver coming into the league necessarily especially uh, as compared to some of his colleagues and he's all all but proven himself as maybe the number one target in the league he's definitely the most reliable I don't know if he might not have the ex explosive explosiveness of um, some other players in the league but he's like I think he's been Drew Brees' go-to guy and it's kind of been evidenced in the games that he's been missing that there's been a bit of reticence from Breeze to, to throw to other wide receivers on those more difficult routes. But this is becoming a developing issue. I think Brandon Marshall was speaking uh, during the week and he obviously had similar issues earlier in his career with disgruntlement and issues with management. But he was saying that in his own, he was there obviously in New Orleans for six weeks before he got injured and was making similar remarks about Michael Thomas, that he's a dedicated professional, but he's got this high intensity 24-7 that it's kind of fuels his fire, but might ultimately burn the house down if he doesn't learn to channel it, channel it in the right way. And yeah, I think it's, it's one to keep an eye on. Mike, Michael Thomas is probably, along with Alvin Kamara, the New Orleans Saints' best chance of doing something this season. And if they lose 50% of that because of off-field issues, uh, the writing could be on the wall. This already looks like Drew Brees' last season. So yeah, it's definitely a developing storyline there. Um, so he's, he's been on Twitter a little bit. Uh, you ain't a snake, but they will make you. And think what you want. I ain't trying to clear no rumours up. Uh, I was never healthy. I was just trying to help my team get a win and heal up during the bye. Had a setback, was so close, and I take my health serious. Now I'm a bad guy. LOL. Um, and then there was a link to something which I haven't uh, got open here. Um, Kian, this stuff happens. We shouldn't worry about it too much, should we? I tend not to, but NFL culture sometimes, like when, especially when you, like we saw with Earl Thomas earlier this year, when you put something on social media or outside the locker room, as they like to say, or not keeping it private, even though teams do it all the time, it can sometimes multiply and become an even bigger issue. But 
Like if you watched the Saints on Monday night, a lot of those guys looked like they needed to be punched in the face because that was an awful performance. Like there was no intensity, there's no energy, and it probably permeates through because of Drew Brees being largely washed up. He had one play the other night, a connection with Jared Cook for the touchdown that was really, really impressive and looked like prime Drew Brees. And outside of that, he looks like a guy who just physically isn't able anymore, and it's it's completely hindering the offense. And when Sean Payton calls a game like he did on Monday night, like Roland said there that, that you're losing 50% of your offense and Michael Thomas being out because of off-field issues. Yeah, that's that's a major issue. And then when you have that and Sean Payton just doesn't use Alvin Kamara enough, you're killing 75% of your offense. And you're doing it not because of the football issues, but because of play calling and because of off, off-field stuff. Like Every single drive started with Latavius Murray running up the middle. Taysom Hill ran in a touchdown. But outside of that, whenever he was used, it put the offense going backwards. So they don't really have any solution right now. They don't really have any answer. And the Chargers were kind of the worst team to play them. Obviously, I know they came out with the win in the end. They, they scraped by. But Justin Herbert's athleticism and the offense as a whole, and actually the defense as well, the speed and the athleticism they showed and played with really highlighted how much how old the Saints are and how much the Saints are going to struggle. And they didn't win the game because they were playing with a rookie quarterback. But even when that game ended, the first thing I tweeted was, yeah, the, the Saints just beat the, the Chargers. But I'm fairly certain the Chargers are better than the Saints. So if they played 100 times, I think the Chargers probably win 85 times. The Saints just got lucky. So they need Michael Thomas, but they also need a lot more. Michael Thomas, like you said, and something he's alluding to there in his tweets, that he's not going to be fully healthy coming back from this injury, then it's going to be a major issue because we all know how much he gets targeted. So apparently there's, um, uh, I, maybe it's semantics, but officially the Saints didn't suspend him for the game. They just fined him his game check and didn't play him. And they were giving him the opportunity to rest up in a game, which they almost lost because um, Money Badger had a kick to win it for the LA Chargers. Their kicker, is it Aaron Badgley? I don't know what his first name is, but uh, certainly Mr. Badgley has um, trademarked the name Money Badger and then missed. I love it. We should all all trademark a name. But Justin Herbert, just quickly, it's, it's not... It's not in the pick six this week, but I should mention, is he, is he 0-4 at this stage? But has there ever been a more impressive 0-4 run by a quarterback? He's been, I think he's, he's impressed everybody. There was certainly some doubts of, about him coming out of college, and I think people raised their eyebrows at the selection in the draft, but I think he's delivered so far, given the circumstances that he was parachuted into after that crazy situation with the Chargers doctor a few minutes before the Chiefs game. And since then, he's, he's been very impressive. So again... The Chargers, as Keen mentioned, look like a very solid outfit and, and well-coached as well. The stat that I heard from them was they're missing 11 starters, but five pro bowlers. Is that correct? Maybe even six? Yeah. Well, that's just standard Chargers every single year, isn't it? <laughs> they're always missing their best players every year. Well, but if... the Herbert, Herbert, I, I, I would echo what Roland said there. Like Herbert, I was one of the guys, like, Herbert to me was awful in college. I had no interest in, in drafting him. I wouldn't have drafted him in the first one, never mind the top 10 where, this, where the Chargers did. But he's been outstanding. Like he's playing really, really well, and he's showing he's showing off a process that is, is a foundation to be built on. And that's mostly that's what matters most for rookies. Rookies aren't going to come in and have well-rounded, full performances. And if you compare him to Joe Burrow, I can't say the same thing about Joe Burrow. Like to me, Joe Burrow looks a lot more like Josh Rosen, the guy you'd replace after a year rather than the guy who'd be all in on. Herbert, his touchdown. I can't remember if it was a touchdown or either way. It was a massive play down the right side. His biggest play of the game against the Saints. It came when. It looked like the defense blew a coverage and the cornerback jumped out of position and there was no safety behind him. But what had actually happened there was Herbert dropped back in the pocket and you can see when you slow the video down, he uses a very, very subtle pump fake. 
where he just, oh, he's literally his elbow. You see it with just his elbow coming forward. That's how you know he's pump fake. And he changes his shoulders and then resets and throws the ball. And that's the, what, what leads the cornerback to jump forward and time perfectly so you know that's the specific reason that happened. And then he delivers the ball to a wide-open receiver. And the reaction on, on Twitter and, or to other writers and other people was, uh, oh, that was a wide-open a wild, wide throw, easy touchdown for the, for the rookie quarterback. But when you break it down and look at it slowly and see exactly what happened was he created that opening. And that play is so important because not, not, not the play itself, not specifically the result of the player, the game of the play, but when you have a guy that young who is that comfortable, who is that aware of his surroundings, has that understanding of the sport, he is going to be able to grow and develop into a really good player. And now you, you can say that about a guy with his athleticism, with his massive arm, it's, it's kind of a scary prospect. It's not Mahomes, but it's something that could be really, really good. Okay. The one thing, sorry, just to, to, to round out the Michael Thomas thing, by not suspending him, they didn't void any of the guarantees. So actually that is quite an important uh, okay. uh, thing to curry favour with him. That was reported in The Athletic this week. So that's four of our pick six. We've got two left. What are, where are we going? Yeah, number five, Jer, thrill of the chase. And I think at this stage of the season, we probably would presume that this would be something to do with Chase Young, given he was the consensus best player in the draft. It, this previous draft just gone. And that's, it's actually Chase Claypool, who was the 49th man out, but has made waves, uh, the first rookie in NFL history to rack up three touchdowns and a rushing touchdown in a single game. So very impressive. And, you know, they seem to have this, um, to call it a revolving door, a more conveyor belt of wide receivers that the Pittsburgh Steelers are able to just uh, snare and draft and almost undrafted players as well. They're, they just seem to have a good production line going there. And, like the defense almost got them to the playoffs last year and all they needed was Ben Roethlisberger to be better than what they had last year. And I think when you look at his contemporaries from that day, was it the 04 class and one of them's retired and one of them's basically done, that he's definitely the most competent of those. And with the, the weapons they have there and the defense still looking resolute, this is probably the best division in football at the moment, given the Browns have managed to turn things around. They've find, found an identity. Um, Nick Chubb is obviously a big loss, but Kareem Hunt is, uh, I would say, an A-grade running back, especially in his prime, maybe has dropped off a little bit. But that's a great one-two punch if they can get them healthy towards the end of the season. And then we talked about Joe Burrow there, but even the intrigue of him having him in that AFC North is good, and the Ravens are obviously favourites. So Steelers looking good, and Chase Claypool was the breakout star of the week. and. The wide receiver pool within the NFL at large actually is is swelling by the week as well. Kareem Hunt is still only twenty five. He's just a year older than um, Nick Chubb. So he, because of the suspensions and the time away, people probably think he's a bit older. But I do. I think you still have the from a playing perspective, the um, the figures are going to be amazing for him over the next while, especially as he uh, becomes the lead dog there. Uh, Kim, what, what's your take on this? First, I thought we were going to talk about Chase Daniel. I think we were at that stage of the season yet. <laughs> Probably will be soon. Um, Chase Claypool. So I, I went through his game. Whenever someone scores four touchdowns as a rookie, you have to check it out. And the touchdowns themselves, like one of them is a screen. One of them is uh, what the, the two of them weren't notable either way. That one of them was a, a very simple play for him, where he didn't actually have to do anything to get open or work. So you can kind of discount the four touchdowns. You can say, okay, that isn't wasn't really a big deal. But then you look at the rest of the game and he's playing really well. Like he, he beat Darius Slay with his hands off the line of scrimmage on a slant row. Darius Slay is a really good cornerback. Like a rookie doing that shouldn't be so quick, so precise, so technically good with what he's doing. He made Jalen Mills turn around the wrong way for one of his touchdowns, then outrun the angle of the safety when the ball is thrown on time. These are things that you kind of expect a really great wide receiver to do, a really high-end wide receiver to do. 
you didn't really expect it from Claypool. He came out of college from Notre Dame. He was one of those players you noticed straight away in college. You was like, oh, yeah, he's got some high-end athleticism. He looks like he's going to an NFL player. But then when he got to the NFL, so far he's looked like that guy relative to NFL players. So he's still standing out in such a way that we didn't expect him to stand out. The kind of the, the problem with Claypool, or not the problem, but the, the quirk about his coverage is before the season, there was a Steelers beat writer comparing him to Calvin Johnson which is ludicrous. Like Calvin Johnson, no one is Calvin Johnson. If you, you see Calvin Johnson coming to Jamar Chase next year, you, when you see it, you know it straight away. He's not that level of player. But so far as a rookie, the Steelers are using him properly and his athleticism is shining true and he's showing some technical refinement. I think he's going to be consistently productive, which is just another in this long line of Steelers receivers, Emmanuel Sanders, Antonio Brown, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, all these guys who weren't first-round picks. But the other aspect of this is, in that specific game, you saw Travis Fulgham for the Eagles have a really big game as well. He had 152 yards on 10 receptions and a touchdown. But if you compare the production of the two, Fulgham, you could see his limitations. You could see he's probably going to regress and not have another big game again. Claypool could have a big game every week as far as I'm concerned. That athleticism is there. and That quality of play is there. And Rottlesberger is playing relatively well too, which is notable, because I didn't expect that to be the case at his age coming off his injury. Yeah, okay. Um... Why are they so good with the wide receivers? What's the secret? Like, there's something obviously in their scouting department that they know that other people don't know. Okay, so years and years ago, Bruce Arians was the wide receivers coach of the Cedars, and that's when it started. He, he turned Nate Washington from a guy who dropped every ball, vertical receiver, into a possession receiver who literally had a full season for the Titans where he didn't drop a ball, and he just fixed those issues. And that, for a long time, I thought what it, thought what it was, because when Arians went to Indianapolis, uh, T.Y. Hilton had that explosive game or explosive uh, rookie year that no one expected. Part of that was Andrew Luck, obviously, as well. So I always thought it was Arians. But then after Arians left, the development kept coming. And the other aspect that was always mentioned was that Steelers GM Kevin Colbert had a really, really good eye for wide receivers. So at this point, because it's continuing and because this continues every single year, I do think it's Kevin Colbert. And you can say specifically it's Kevin Colbert. Obviously, you still need good development. You still need good coaches. But he seems to have an understanding for that position that is better than anyone else's understanding for any other position in the whole league. Like I would compare his, him with wide receivers to Dante Scarnecchia in the offensive line in New England, where every single year, no matter who you get or no matter who you give him, they're going to be a quality product on the field. All right. A reminder that the snap and all our American football coverage is brought to you by the Erlingus College Football Classic. Like many other sporting events, obviously the 2020 game was postponed amidst the global pandemic. Really hoping that the 2021 game will be able to take place at Illinois against Nebraska. And hopefully it's going to be at the Aviva. All the latest up-to-date information about the game is available at collegefootballireland.com. Loads of questions coming through. We'll get to them in a minute. For the final uh, pick six, what have we got, Ron? Yeah, number six, Jair. Probably the most eye-catching game of the week upcoming. Goats butt heads. Uh, two firm staples of the higher echelon of quarterback play in the history of the league. Probably Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. And given what I just framed it as there, you'd think they have this, this slew of games against each other and a rivalry akin to Manning versus Brady, but this is only their third meeting. They're one apiece. And I think I just have a quote here from Roger saying, I'm not playing against Tom. I'm playing against the Buccaneers defense. That's how it should be viewed. But come on, Aaron. Like, I think we all know how narratives work here. Like, I think people are going to be trying to frame this. You can already, already see the montage. I'm not sure where this game is on Fox or whatever, but Michael Jordan did the promo last time these two squared off. And I think they'll be going for some similar Hollywood level drama. But, you just look at the at the game on paper. The Packers are um, in blistering form. Nine regular season wins in a row. And Rodgers has been blemish-free, basically, in this season so far. Brady, on the other hand, forgot how to play football at the end of his last game. So there'll be a lot of 
intrigue around that, just seeing how they bounce back. And this is not to call it a must win because the rest of the Buccaneers division isn't looking too hot at the moment. But, you know, the pressure's certainly more on them to, to, to get a W at home here. And if the Packers go here and win, and I think they're favoured to win, or they certainly were this time last week, um, you know, the Packers have to be... Like, it's getting to the point where you can kind of talk big picture, and Rodgers, I think, has edged to number one as the MVP favourite. And the Packers will be among the Super Bowl favourites if they can get a win this weekend. I think they should be anyway. They've, like, him playing at this form automatically makes them in that conversation and I can't wait to see him against Russell Wilson uh, which I think is probably going to be the NFC title game at this point um, it's very early in the season to be talking like that but uh, Keen, this, this, is, this is a challenge for them They're, the Buccaneers defence is actually very good I actually I, I really like the Packers in this game Ron's right they are favourites coming in but they're very small favourites the so, like that quote, right? That quote is obviously just nonsense quotes. Some players say, oh, I'm not playing him. And, and we take the narrative and we always talk quarterback for the first quarterback. But it's actually really important in this scenario because I think this is the first time in their careers where the Rodgers has the better team, where he has the better supporting cast. And a massive key to it is Vita Villa in the last game against the Bears broke his ankle, I believe. He's up for the year. He's not going to play in this game. You've got Aaron Jones there, who is having an incredible season. And he's been very, very difficult to stop. And I think the Packers' offense is something the Buccaneers haven't seen yet this year where you've got all the motion, all the flexibility, all the misdirection in the running game and, and the play action plays off of that. And then you've got Rodgers' ability to hit those deep shots. And Devontae Adams is back fully healthy. So they're going to have coverage issues in the back end as well. I, I really like the Packers in this game. I really like the Packers as a team overall. I think the the, the Buccaneers, you've seen like Brady messing up the, the downs, counting the downs in the last, thing, last game was something we focused on. But the fact that they were struggling with the Bears in the first place was a major problem. And then the fact that game, the weekend before that, Brady was complaining about his, his teammates not having the having the right, or not playing with the right mindset and playing the right way and giving up a few penalties. And it's something Bruce Arians was asked about this week where he doesn't mind Brady giving out and calling out guys and changing the locker room culture a little bit. So the, the Buccaneers are a little bit of a work in progress. I think another issue is you're going to have Preston Smith and Zedaria Smith going against Donovan Smith. In fact, that's a lot of Smiths going against Donovan Smith in pass protection. And that's a major, major challenge for him. He's going to be a liability in pass protection all game long. It, it could be a really fascinating matchup. It should be a really good game. It's essentially a pick em. I'm looking at the, the odds here. Um, it's essentially a pick em. So not, you're not quite well, The Packers getting... were minus one, I think, when I last looked at on the road, which generally means favourite. Um... Yeah, but you can get the same price just to win the game. The Packers are minus one uh, touch odds on, and the Bucks are plus one a touch odds on. But when you actually go for that's for the um, um, the point spread, but the actual winner itself, the price is essentially the same, ten to eleven about both of them. So nobody's willing to take a position here, uh, which is interesting from the bookies. They really don't have a clue about what's going to happen. You can get a touch of evens about. Um, Tampa to win, no evens on offer, I suppose, about Green Bay. So they are, I think they are slight favourites. The significance of that probably, as Keane touched on, is that home home teams in close games like that would just be given a couple of points leeway in the bookies' odds. But we've seen home advantage has been diluted so much. And Aaron Rodgers has used hard counts against home teams throughout the season. So that's probably why it's balanced out. But on the whole, when it all shakes out and kickoff happens, I think the, the, uh, the Packers will be favourites going into this game. Okay, three quick questions from our uh, listeners and watchers today. Um, Big Ben on YouTube wants to know, how far can the Steelers go? Is it dependent on Big Ben staying fit? Yes, 
It is, isn't it? There's no way that Mason Rudolph is going to come in or whoever they have. I don't even know who their official number two is at the moment, but there's no way any of those, as we've already seen, can actually do a job. It is dependent on that, but that, that applies to every team in the league. If you use your starting quarterback, you're pretty much done. The, I think the, the more notable aspect about the Steelers is they're trying to be the 49ers in that defensive front four. And you saw TJ Watt was a little bit roughed up last week. TJ Watt and Bud Dupree and Cameron Hayward uh, with Devin Bush behind them. That's the strength of that team. Joe Hayden made a big play at the end of the game last week to stop uh, Fulgham on third down. And that was a big play, but the secondary there isn't particularly good. It's not a standout secondary. It's a secondary that does its assignment and plays relatively well consistent. So it's not really a, a group of stars. So the Steelers are going to win games, and the way they're going to win games is by relying on that front to shut down opponents or make enough big plays on the defensive side to give them victories. And then they need the they need Claypool, they need Juju Smith-Schuster, they need James Conner, and they need Eric Ebron to consistently make big plays. Because I don't think Roethlisberger, as much as he's been better than I thought he would be this year, he's not the he's still not the efficient timing passer who's going to do every every down and move you off and so methodically. They still are going to need big plays. So. Big plays and good defence is going to be the, the way forward for them. Uh, at Keppel Mark on Twitter says, I agree with Key and read the charges, but the reason they always lose these close games is because Lane is an awful coach. Situational football is horrible. Um, I mean, there's also bad luck involved in the injuries that they have, and particularly this year versus other years, but uh, certainly he hasn't quite proven himself to be a sensation just yet. And the last one is, Keen, can you give us uh, your updated divisional winners, please? Um, just rattle them off there, all eight, please. Thanks very much. Uh, the Packers, the <laughs> Patriots, um, I'm forgetting teams. Uh, <laughs> who's wait, who's win, in the AFC South? Who's going to win the uh, the NFC East? Oh, who cares? I think... Realistically. So I think that if you're Dallas, you think... If you're Dallas, you think if you win that division, you're going to be able to get in a role. And who knows what the other teams are like. We've seen the um, Colts got closed down overnight because of COVID. It's the team with the most available players at the end of this that might actually be the team that is best placed to go on a run in January slash February slash March or maybe April whenever this season eventually ends. I mean, yeah, it is great. I, I honestly, like, I don't... I look at that Cowboys team and before Dak got hurt, before Tyron Smith got hurt, before uh, Joe Looney got hurt, I, I did not think they were going anywhere because Dak was carrying so much of the offense and the defense was so bad. And now you have all these injuries. It, it, okay. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they lost every game. Right, so they're, they're out. Uh, better question for you now. Who is uh, getting the first pick overall next year? Who's doing the best job of going for that? Um, the Falcons. I mean, we, we didn't talk about Dan Quinn getting fired, but Dan Quinn getting fired is, might give them a little bit of a boost. You've got the Jets there as well. I think the Texans are probably too good to do that. Deshaun, uh, Deshaun Watson will pull them out of that. I do think a dark horse for that at this stage is the Bengals because the Bengals have been really, really bad. We expected them to be a lot better than they were. The only reason you would put them above the Jets and the Falcons is literally their record right now. They've got that tie game and they've, got, they've won a game. So it, it will take a lot for the Jets and the Falcons to overtake them. But it, again, it wouldn't surprise me if the Bengals prayed her the rest of the year too. Yeah, look, if I was in charge of the Falcons, I'd be trading away everybody to try and get that first pick and, uh, and building a team for the future. Let's run you through the yeah. fixtures for uh, the weekend to tell you what you might be watching if COVID doesn't intervene. It's uh, the Houston Texans at the Tennessee Titans, who are for real, by the way, it turns out. Uh, we'll talk about them next week, I guess. Uh, Atlanta at the Vikings. Ooh, that's, um, <laughs> that has a lot of bad football uh, in it, if that game happens. The Bengals at the Colts. Not sure if that game's going to happen. The Bears at the Panthers. That game should happen. That's, uh, we're looking at that, yeah. That's um, a Sunday 6 o'clock kickoff. 
Denver at the Patriots, I think, is scheduled to happen. Uh, the Ravens at the Eagles, that looks grand for the moment. The Browns, as we touched on, uh, are suddenly reasonable at football. OBJ has been off sick this week. Not quite sure if it's COVID or not. They haven't released that at the Steelers, so that's an opportunity for us to see if they are for real or not. And then Detroit at Jacksonville, avoid that one, uh, unless you've got reasons for fantasy to watch it. Washington at the Giants, avoid the uh, Jets at the Dolphins. Um, it should be a beatdown. It should be an opportunity for everybody in Miami to get a bit more revenge, uh, if any of them are left from the Adam Gase era. Green Bay Packers at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Rams at the 49ers. That's the official end of the San Francisco 49ers season. Uh, you heard it here first. Kansas City Chiefs at Buffalo on Monday, we hope. And then uh, Arizona Cardinals at Dallas. Is that going to kick off at 10 o'clock, our time, on Monday night? The, I missed that. I couldn't the Chiefs see. game, yeah. Well, all right, well um, that's an interesting... So that's like, that would be right, wouldn't it? Five, their time, and they've already got the hour. So, uh, yeah, okay. Look, another edition of The Snap is in the books. Enjoy the weekend, folks. We'll talk to you next week. OTB's American Football Show, The Snap. Yeah.